Why why are you angry? What does that anger or embitterment do? It brings down the countenance. countenance. It naturally and perhaps necessarily destroys and brings decay. It doesn't enhance one's beauty or bring joy and excitement to the countenance. And then as you notice um, this burden that that one begins to bear, um, again, we'll get into the text because there's a motivation for why Cain is choosing to eliminate Abel. And I guess I'll give it away now and then we'll just prove it in a few minutes. But but it's because he, he thinks it's the pathway towards the alleviation of his burden. Um, But it isn't. Sin only enhances the burden that's already churning within. It's not the pathway to 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 your greatest you. It really isn't. On a number of levels. It enhances the burden even within. It enhances it physically from without. So here at this point of kind of churning within him in the sense of even external decay, the sadness and the sorrow, the the light is going out in the eyes, the burden that is being borne with what is churning within. Cain is given the opportunity to experience the relief of that burden. That's what it's about. God can say, on your countenance, I can see you are burdened. Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Now, notice at this point, the face could be restored. The joy could be restored. He could have for Cain this time, his very first experience of redeeming joy. Look at verse 7, and that's where we go, if you do well. So so it's connected, verse 6. Why are you angry? I can see it in your face. You're fallen in face. You have rage in your heart. A moment of repentance and opportunity here for Cain. Reflecting back on the opportunity at the sacrificial table, public worship in front of family. God asks this rhetorically of Cain. If you do well, right, because you're, you're angry right now, you, you, you're experiencing toxicity of your own embitterment and jealousy, pride, and rage against Abel. It, it's, it's all over your face. So I ask you this rhetorically. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now now think about how he's asking Cain that. Cain knows. Right? It's rhetorical. If you do well, as in the opportunity that you and Abel both possessed, in coming to sacrifice, in the motive of your sacrifice, as we confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism this morning, what, what is a true work? Only that which proceeds from true faith. In other words, Cain is angry and embittered, but it's not for lack of knowledge. The rhetorical question, if you do right... You know, like Abel, you know, Cain, in your heart. If you do well there, you know that you would be accepted. In other words, Cain is aware that God has given his promise. 
what, what, what promise is it? Because, again, it's taught to him pedagogically through the sacrificial system. This is what we do. We offer back to God. Why? Because this is God's. Because God is offering himself. This picture of sacrifice, this life of worship and liturgy, public seasonal coming before the Lord and seeking his face is taught to him by mom and dad. Cain is aware that if he does well, yes, I am aware that if I do well, I would be accepted. He is aware as a, as a grown man that God has given his promise that he will not charge sin against anyone who believes. Are you not aware of that? The answer for Cain is yes, I am. So as to the nature of the gospel, when you hear it, when I hear it, when we preach it and we receive it and we sit underneath it, as to the nature of the gospel itself. If we were to say gospel, we simply mean good news, that the, the good news that this is full provisions for you by God given unto you. The, the nature of the gospel, when it is presented, if you do well, Cain, if you believe, would you be accepted? Yes. So also, in the offering of the gospel, there is annexed to it. And this is important for each and every one of us as we look at verse 7 here just for a few moments. But consider this in your own hearing of the gospel. In this very moment, in the freedom of what we've sang, what we've confessed, when we work through Romans 3. We just, we just began with confession and, 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 and an assurance of pardon. We moved to Romans 3 and we just read about the law and the gospel and how we don't nullify the law, we uphold the law through faith. And we sang about being happy, being free, all of this about the gospel. But remember, as we gather on this Lord's day and you here in the hearing, belonging to the nature of this free offering, there is annexed to it, the dire warning of condemnation that comes to any who shrug off this free offer or dismiss it entirely. You see? In other words, in the hearing of the gospel, there is a consequence. Again, belonging to its nature in the free offering, there is annexed to it a a dire warning of condemnation that comes to any who dismiss it with a hand wave or who thoughtfully still yet shrug it off. Notice how, I want to walk through the pieces of the text, verse 7. Notice um, how it comes to him. Um, and the Lord said, I'll start with verse 6 so we can keep the conversation together. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? I, it's written all over your face. Again, if you do well, uh, this of which you know, if you do well, that is a, a true act of obedience through faith. For that is the only true act, that of faith. If you do well, Will you not be accepted? Do you not know this information? And obviously Cain does. And yet here annexed to this offer is also the dire warning of condemnation. And if you do not, 
do well. If you do not, if you dismiss it, if you shrug it off as not applicable, if you do and if you do not, sin is crouching at the door. It's desire that is the desire of of consummate sin. Its desire is for you. But you must exercise self-control. If we think carefully just for a moment about what is said here, again, we learn something of the nature of sin altogether. It's not unique to the Cain and Abel story, and it's not unique between God and Cain as he speaks here of what takes place in the life of Cain in this biblical narrative. But he speaks naturally of sin to human beings, to each and every one of us. So we gather a lot of information here regarding the nature of sin. Notice how it is described as crouching at the door. Look carefully and consider it just for a moment. Uh, And if you don't, if you resist this offer, this do well offer, sin, this is what it's doing. I'm warning you. Annexed to the promise is the warning. I'm warning you, sin then. Sin is active. It is crouching at the door. And here we are given a strong picture of the nature of sin. The term translated crouching or lurking, maybe your text says, uh, uh, some choosing lying. It is a word used to denote those who guard entrances to buildings. So now you're giving, there's a picture emerging uh, for you mentally. That, that, that sin, you can kind of think of this, this, this uh, maybe you can think of a, a security guard or someone standing watch um, on this side, and the door is here, and, and maybe you're over here. And, 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 and at this door, in this picture of how you're understanding and conceiving of what's churning within is, and if you do not choose to do well, that is, a faith that ascends and rests and trusts in a true act, if you choose not to do that, then I'm telling you, sin is crouching, lying, standing roused at the door. Or Sin, guard, door, you. It's here, and ready it stands. But here's the key piece in the text as it begins to unfold. This is why it's a decision moment for Cain. And when temptation is nigh, it is a decision moment for you, for me. Because you see in the picture, guard, door, you, the door has not been opened. There is this fair warning. It stands ready at the door. Don't open it. You see? This is the warning annexed to the promise. If you do well, if you live through faith, will you not be accepted? As in, I'm saying that to you because you already know that mentally. But you've yet to lay hold of it through faith. But I'm warning you, if you shrug it off, sin lies at the door. 
Again, this is um, a picture that with Cain at this moment, because of his pride and envy and anger, the one who's never been told and always been praised. The wrongful desire or lust, or maybe we call them appetites, of which we all share in by the human condition, is right now here in verse 7 churning within his mind and heart. And it's written all over his face. This is how the nature of sin works in all of our lives. Again, if we were to fast forward all the way to the epistle of James, of which I'm sure you're very familiar of the same language, and you can pair it here with the picture of Cain and the picture of you and I and our lives and the sin principle within and how we interact with other stimuli and urges and appetites within our own hearts and, and this issue of sin is lying at the door. Don't open it, Adam. Don't open it. I want to just rip that door open. No, you do not. This is the picture. Don't, don't. It's churning within you. I can see it on your face. James chapter 1 verse 4 expresses, or 14 expresses it this way. He says, each person, that is you and I, and Cain in this moment, I'm warning you, if you do not, sin is crouching at the door. Each person in their own situation, this is what James chapter 1 verse 14 and following says, each person is tempted That is right, tempted to do wrong when he is lured, he is enticed by his own desire or his own appetites. This is how sin and our flesh, how we interact, our sinful tendencies and wrongful appetites It stands at the door, and each one is lured to it or drawn to it by their lusts or desires or appetites from within. And churning in Cain in the text so far is anger. Why are you so angry? This appetite of yours, this inordinate desire toward another human being is churning within you, and I'm warning you, don't let it conceive and bring forth death. This is what Cain is experiencing at the moment of the text through his anger. He is experiencing the allure, the enticement of his own wicked and fleshly desires. Now think about this just for a moment. Uh, And think about how when we act, and and I know each of us have been there. I I don't think there's any um, uh, physical murderers in here. Uh, but if you are, raise your hand, we'll quietly escort you out. No. Um, the, the idea that, 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 again, when we look at physical act and we look at the heart and we look at the moral law, we see our Lord preaching and expounding upon the moral law that indeed it's an issue within the heart alone is enough to be condemned of murder. So each of us rendered guilty before the Lord in our own sinful desires and thoughts. And so, again, each of us can, can, can identify with the picture of Cain here standing with this inordinate, wrongful desire churning within. And when we, that is you and I, when we act upon our own wrongful desires and drives, we know them to be wrong. We know this to be wrong. You've been there. There's something in your own life, maybe many things by constitution in your life 
that are wrong, that wrongful desires or urges that you experience, that you know to be wrong, and yet in the moment at least, in the moment at least, to perform it, to give way to it, to act upon it, seems pleasant. Nearly soothing. So also with Cain. He's being examined or he's being questioned about his anger, his pride. That which is deep within, because we don't have any language from Cain, that, you know, at the, at the service he just walked over after God passed over his sacrifice, that he just tipped over the whole altar scenario and just started smashing all that he could. Um, we, we don't have any activity, but, but we do know that it has been seen in his countenance because that's just what the in, internal strife brings external yuck. There, there's just a connection there. And to Cain, at this moment, as God asks him, why are you so angry? And it's written all over your face. Because to Cain, at this moment, anger and resentment feel right. It feels justified. Why are you angry? Because I should be. And we could just go down the line in our own lives. Why are you performing X? Because it just, I've earned it. Why are you saying that? Because that person did this. Why, why are you going here? Because that, that's just how I, 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 it helps me. Down and down and down and down and down the line, excuse making, for, 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 for acting on what seems to be almost justified. Why did you throw that plate across the room and smash it against the wall at your spouse? Because they provoked me. It, it was in almost a weird way justifiable. Here, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Well, you saw what happened over there. I was embarrassed. In other words, to some measure, it's justifiable. And it feels very pleasant right now to be angry, not to repent. And we've been there as well, right? In a conflict with, with a spouse, with a child. We've been, we've been in conflict with, with others of various kinds of relationships. You don't live as a human being connected to any other human being without some measure of conflict. And yet, why not repent and restore? Because it feels good to be angry and bitter for a, for a while. Why are you angry and your face is falling? Because I should be. If you knew my brother... It's worth it. You would too. Proverbs 20, verse 17 says this. You're you're probably familiar here. Proverbial thoughts on on the issue of being being able to recognize something up front without seeing its backside consequence. That is Proverbs 20, 17. Quote, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. Just a fact. You know? What's the, what's the statement uh, where it says, you know, drive it like you stole it? Maybe you've ever heard of that. I'm sure tons of you. I've seen your cars. You're all out there driving them like you stole them, right? I know I get my rendezvous going. But uh, 
but the idea, right, but, but where does that even impulse come from? Where does the impulse to say something like that come from? What's the connection? Well, because everybody gets that sense of impulse that bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. There's something where there's this weird urge to give way to inordinate desire and to have that sense satisfied. And even though it's wrong, it feels right. But then the proverb tries to give you wisdom in the fear of the Lord, right? It tries to give you glasses that you don't currently have, a vision that you lack. And so it comes quickly to say, yes, I get it. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. Maybe being mad at your brother and thinking of killing him feels good right now. But I'm trying to help you with wisdom and fear of the Lord to so say in Proverbs 20, verse 17, on the back half of the verse, it says, but afterward, his mouth will be full of gravel. That's awful. What a, what a picture. Grab a handful of gravel and throw it in. Chew on it a little bit. That's a picture for you to say, yeah, that warm loaf coming out of the oven, stolen by the sea. Ooh, yeah, man, does that feel good? Now, and the consequence will be like this. Grab a handful of gravel and start chewing on it. The, 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 you have to connect that prior to the act. Cain, standing at the door on the other side of this decision, is consummate sin. Don't give way to it. You see, we must also remember and be warned that sin's poison, and and, and we have to think about this, and I know we do at times, but let us be refreshed this Lord's Day through the situation of the confrontation with Cain. That sin's poison, no matter the category that you're struggling with, remember, commit to faith, make a matter of prayer, to be reminded and empowered by the Holy Spirit that sin's poison is not felt while it is being committed. The poison is disastrously deferred. It's disastrously deferred. Oh, that would just be terrible, right? Right at the moment of, uh, uh, of consummation. Right at the moment of actually performing the act. Just the first taste was sheer bitterness to prevent being entangled and enmeshed. But it isn't. It's disastrously deferred. It's kicked down the line so that we wake up long entangled in bad habits bad relations, bad emotions. The opposite of flourishing and joy. So again, since the consequences of sin, even to Cain at that moment, seem so far off, look at the graphic nature of the warning. And again, look at verse 7, and we'll move to the final portion of verse 7. If you do well, you will be accepted. If you do not do well, if you don't repent here, Cain, Sin is crouching or lying or standing at the door. Now look at the, the, the more graphic nature of this to personalize it, to really confront you and I, to confront Cain. But again, as readers of Holy Scripture, to confront us. Its desire, that is sin's desire, its desire is for you, Adam. Again, if, I, if I'm reading this text, and, and you, as a, as a good reader of Holy Scripture, Christian Scripture, we're reading this. It speaks to Cain, and by way of Cain, to you. Its desire is for you. 
but you must exercise self-control. Now, the, 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 the sin that seems to be standing there ready for consummation is indeed murder. Cain has inordinate anger churning within, and that anger that stands on the side of the door ready to pounce is murder. Again, God sees the heart in you, and the heart in myself, the heart in Cain, and he knows what exactly lies behind the door in Cain's anger. It's desirous for you, Cain. This anger and this bitterness will find its consummate point in murdering your brother. You mustn't. Luther, that is Martin Luther, comments regarding God's warning here. He says, quote, if you hurt your brother. So Luther's framing it in the way that God is speaking to Cain. He says, if you hurt your brother and yield to the anger which is arisen in your heart, I tell you, and get, get this, the way Luther frames it, it's a, it's a perfect commentary on, on the, the word picture given about the door scenario. It's, it, it really is very helpful. If you hurt your brother and you yield to the anger which has arisen in your heart, if you do this, Cain, if you go forth, it's lying at the door and it wants you, Cain. And, and if, if you do what is in your heart, I tell you, your sin will be quiet. Think about that just for a moment. Your sin, the activity, will be quiet. Right? And then you go into the text and where are they? They're in a field. As far as we know, there's only two of them. If you do what you're about to do based on your heart's condition and thought, it will be quiet. But then listen to this brilliant stroke by Luther. But it will be quiet at the door. That is, in a place which very much is devoid of all quiet. Therefore, it cannot avoid being roused and falling upon you like an infuriated beast. End quote. Do you see? It's, it's lying or crouching or stands at the door. And yes, indeed, your actions, because they're at the door, may be quiet. But nothing is truly quiet at the door. Everyone comes in and out. It's an intersection. No one's going to miss the results. Bread stolen is sweet. Things performed wrongly and quiet seem to remain hidden. But by the nature of sin and its work, it will be found out. For the deed itself may be quiet, but it's only quiet at a doorfront. No one can miss it coming in and out. Again, this is not to simply say the reason why we ought to neglect bad behavior or 
induce ourselves in sinful categories, to, to actually perform sinful things. It's because, be careful, you know, you're going to get caught. That's not the point of the text. Because, indeed, as we admit, many things go unnoticed. So how can we apply this principle that Luther and, and what we think is a fair summary of the text is, if it takes place at a door, the point is there is no quiet place at the door. When you think, well, I've done things in my life that have not gotten caught. Yeah, sure. In this age. But you don't think that's the only age within which you'll live. Do you? Again, sin is a category that transcends time. It's not just because you didn't get caught today that it's over and done with. Again, sin belongs to the age that is to come where judgment also resides. So I said it is with the nature of sin altogether, whether it's Cain's actions here in the text or our own. Listen to James 15, uh, 115. I read 114. Let me read 115. He concludes this way. Then desire, when it is conceived, that is, so Cain has this anger, this desire, and now it gives conceived birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So verse 7 of our chapter is the final warning, final call to repentance for Cain. This is it. He stands at the threshold of making a tremendous mistake. So it is with the nature of sin in each of our lives. Notice the actions of Cain in verse 8, and indeed he feels some measure of pleasure. Verse 8. So he heard the word that, yeah, I I should repent. If I do well, I'll be received. It's neither here nor there. Sin is crouching at the door. It will be quiet in that field. But that door, once it is opened, it will be on you like a beast. That is, its desire is for you, Cain. Notice the hardness of Cain's heart. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Some conversation to induce um, Abel to go with him. Or he met him and showed himself friendly. And when they were in the field, um, some premeditation discussion, they're in the field. Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. Again, as to the nature of sin and the activity of Cain, there is no doubt that at some measure, the murdering of his brother brought some level of satisfaction to his desire for vengeance. His anger, perhaps, even at that time, felt soothed. Like, ah, that was the object of my terrors. That was what needed to be done. And again, you have to keep this in mind because it goes in concert to the idea that sin lies quiet at the door. Yet, in due time, it is roused when the door is open. And it falls upon each of us bringing awful consequences. When you go back to the picture itself, if sin is standing at the door and here is your activity and you perform said activity and that is you gave way to the door and you walk in, the word picture is that sin is here and you didn't see its consequence when the door was opened and you walked face to face with it. So the forward warning is, don't proceed through the threshold committing said crime clicking on that thing on the internet 
going to that location that you know induces awful things in your life. Remaining embittered and lack of repentance in your life because somehow it seems justified. Giving way to these inordinate desires because somehow you've reasoned that you've earned it. The warning is, leave this door closed with this inordinate desire. What can I do but satisfy it? You can repent, and will you not be accepted? You, you do not have to. Yes, I know you do not have to do that. You do not. You, you can put measures of accountability in your life, like genuine ones. And, and we talk to people a lot about different levels of accountability, but remember, each of us has to be honest. Accountability is only as good as we want to be held accountable. Do we? Do we want to be helped? Do we want to be assisted? Do we want to be kept from having to satisfy that door and open it and experience the brokenness, the sadness, the consequence that comes from being pounced upon by sin? Or would we rather in that moment, in that great burden that we all feel, churning within us those inordinate desires to satisfy them, Can we, by the Spirit's grace, repent knowing the consequence, choose to repent instead of satisfy and turn to a brother, turn to a sister? Can we do that? Or must we satisfy that and experience the disaster of the consequences that come with consummation in sin? Again, in due time, it will be roused. Often we think as long as our misdeeds are hidden from the eyes of those around us. Right? Like children. We think that as long as our misdeeds are hidden from the eyes of those around us, we can keep the consequences from coming home to roost. And we cannot. Even if it's by countenance. Something's not right about that person. Have you talked with them recently? There's something just going on with them. Or your spouse being like, well, you just seem to be acting weird. In fact, you are acting weird. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. There is a way in which, again, even countenance gives way to the activity that's going on, the emotions that are being experienced. But we often think that as long as we can keep the consequence out of view, or we can keep the activity out of view, we can keep the consequence of coming home to roost, and we simply cannot. It will at some point be written all over your face. We also think the judgment can stay away from being passed. But again, if I could conclude with this word from Scripture regarding Cain and Abel, and next week we'll look at how Cain, indeed, the consequences come home to roost very quickly for Cain. He was warned. He was told. You must exercise self-control. And he chose not. He'd rather satisfy that urge and kill his brother. And the consequences just are tremendous. But to each one of us, if I could conclude with this word then, about the nature of our own decision-making between sin that stands roused and ready to pounce on the other side of a door that we just simply think our activities can go through without experiencing that which is on the other side of the door. Matthew 10, 26, our Lord said this. It's a good reminder and indeed a stern warning. Nothing is covered. Do you see? Do you see? Uh, nothing as a universal negative. No thing anywhere. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden 
that will not be known. But then you think, oh, you know, again, I've had things that remain hidden. I've had things that remain unknown. Yes, yes, true, 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 true. That's why it's not simply an issue for, well, let's just curb our behavior so we're societally acceptable within the church. That's not the, the, the calculus here because we could all do that. And at different levels, we all do do that. That's why this isn't what he's addressing. He says this, so don't fear men. Wait a minute, I thought the, I thought the point was because it's going to be revealed. Right. In the place that matters most. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the calculus. That's the need to repent and believe. To once again return to grace. To return to the Savior. To ask for forgiveness of the desires that churn within and the aid of the Spirit to resist its consummation in our heart and life. If you do that, I say it to you rhetorically because you know the answer. As so with Cain. If you do that, will you not be accepted? You know the answer is, yes, I will. Let each of us repent and turn to grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a few moments around your text. We thank you for the importance of this origin story regarding sin, its nature, and its desire for us. Lord, let us see with clear sight its consequence, its hurt, its sorrow, its judgment. Let us turn with grace toward repentance and endeavor after new obedience. This we can only do if you supply our needs. Just because we should doesn't mean we can. So, Lord, we ask for your empowering presence. We ask for your grace to meet us at every challenge. Give us brothers and sisters in our lives that are meaningful to us, to hold us, to help us, to give accountability, to enter into our lives with us. Lord, we can only know of one another what is told in honesty. I pray for anyone here who is struggling with secret life, the sin that accompanies, the sorrow that is there from it, they would seek one of us, seek a friend, seek someone that is a believer to be honest about the struggles in their life, to seek help, genuine repentance, to endeavor after new obedience with the help of a friend, a brother, a sister in Christ. Help us to be honest with the danger of sin in our own lives. Bring forth repentance and protection by your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.